Welcome to Rep Chats, the podcast of Nashville Repertory Theater. I'm your host, Micah Shane Brewer. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited to have a very special guest with us, Simon Stevens, who is the playwright who adapted Mark Haddon's novel, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. I had the privilege of speaking with Simon, and this was a fun interview. I'm happy to share it with all of you. And uh, we want you to come out and see our next production, which is The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which opens on March the 24th, playing at TPEX Johnson Theater. Currently in rehearsals right now with a fabulous cast and production team, and you don't want to miss this show. Uh, so stick around in just a moment. We will be back with our interview with Simon Stevens. Welcome back. One of the most acclaimed and prolific playwrights of our time, Simon Stevens has written more than three dozen plays over the last quarter century, and his work has been produced all over the globe. Just to name a few of his plays, they include Port, Fatherland, Pornography, Punk Rock, Seawall, Heisenberg, as well as adaptations of A Doll's House, The Three Penny Opera, and The Cherry Orchard. Most recently, his play Morning Sun premiered with the Manhattan Theater Club, and he wrote the book for the musical Cornelia Street, which just premiered this year at the Atlantic Theater Company. And of course, the reason we're speaking today is The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, our next production here at Nashville Repertory Theater. Originally produced at the National Theater in 2012, it transferred to London's West End, where it won seven Olivier Awards in 2013. And then the show ran on Broadway for nearly two years, winning the Tony Award for Best Play in 2015. It is my pleasure to welcome Simon Stevens to our podcast. Hello, Simon. Welcome. Hey, Mike. What a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. It's really lovely to be here. Oh, thank you for taking time to speak with us. We are so happy to have you. And we are currently in rehearsals for Curious Incident. We're having such a joyful time uh, creating this show and living in these characters. And uh, uh, we want to thank you for, for this beautiful adaptation. <laughs> I'd love to start before Curious Incident, actually, and talk about the beginning of your career. I'm always fascinated by how someone gets their start in this business. Right. right. Can Can you tell our listeners what made you want to pursue a life as a playwright? I mean, was there a magical moment that that clicked for you where you said, this is what I want to do with my life? Yeah, kind of, actually. <laughs> that, that, that kind of was. I think um, I'd always wanted to be a writer in 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 some form or another, ever since I was a small child, from like a pre-adolescent child, the experience of writing. I think uh, I would say that it made me feel less alone and more connected to the world than 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 anything other than perhaps the experience of listening to music or or or, re or reading. Um, but I had no real interest in being a playwright. The the writer I wanted to be would definitely throughout my adolescence and early twenties was I wanted to be a songwriter. 
you know um the 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 writers who made most sense to me about my life and made most sense to me about my position within my world were definitely songwriters people like elvis costello and mark e smith and morrissey and mark eitzel who i've written a couple of shows with including cornelia street um and i wanted to emulate them it was it was when i went to university uh that that two, two things happened i went to york university in england where i studied a history degree um, and I, I did some gigs singing some of the songs that I wrote and uh, it became palpably clear to me that I had quite a terrible singing voice. So there was no way, <laughs> there was no way that I was ever going to be able to emulate those, those people who, who I'd adored. And also all the, you know, I always say this and the older I get, the more excruciating it is, but nevertheless, I will say it, all the most attractive girls at university wanted to be actresses and in a terrible, pathetic and ultimately entirely misguided attempt to meet these girls from incredibly exotic places like Kent and Surrey. <laughs> and Sussex I went to see them in their in their normally terrible student productions um and although they rightly never spoke to me and uh you know uh the plays were terrible I remember a particularly awful production of Tom Stoppard's The Real Inspector Hound um but um nevertheless going to this ramshackle little barn on the grounds of York University, which was called the Drama Barn. It's like a 40 seat theater in the middle of the campus. Um, and watching these stories unfold live in front of me. I remember really startlingly at like the age of 20, 21, thinking, what if you took this art form, which was present and alive and visceral, like a gig it reminded me of watching a live gig um you know watching a band live what if you took that art form and synthesized it with the kind of stories that i was growing up on with you know i, I grew up watching kind of like martin scorsese movies and kind of david lynch movies i remember thinking what if you took like taxi driver and you were in the same room as travis bickle or you took blue velvet and you're in the same room as frank booth that would be extraordinary uh, and that energy, that kind of like uh, bolt of energy has kind of really sustained my kind of writing for the subsequent 32 years. Yeah. I spent kind of like eight years writing plays that literally nobody went to see, or, you know, I'd direct them myself and kind of do them in little rooms above pubs or kind of rooms in cafes or tiny, tiny theatres. And, um, you know, um, we'd get really get audiences of like four, <laughs> and kind of like one one of the four would leave because they were bored <laughs> and um but i just by that stage there's a lovely um there's a lovely uh 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 john updike quote i think it's no john irving quote and his dedication to the world according to garp he dedicates it to a teacher of his who who said to who said to him that he, if he ever did anything with his life other than be a writer he would always be in some sense disappointed with himself. And I think by the time I left university, I realized that if I ever did anything other than be a playwright, I would always be in some sense disappointed with myself. And so that's despite the tiny audiences and the rejections and the lack of interest from any professional theater, I just kept going. Wow, and, and so when you left university, yeah. Uh, how long did it take you to become a, a, an established playwright? Did you immediately begin writing? 
I don't really, you know, there's part of me that still doubts whether I actually am an established playwright, which I know is kind of like ludicrous objectively, but it's just indicative of the kind of paranoia of a playwright. I, I, it's hard to date it specifically. I had my first professional production. Um, I, I graduated in 1992 and I had my first pro professional production in 1998. Um, in the subsequent kind of seven, six, seven years, I'd written maybe six other plays that I'd either directed myself or just hadn't been produced. Um, and I had done a whole load of other jobs. I'd kind of been a door-to-door -door salesman for the Better Wear Home Care catalogue. Um, I'd worked in bars, I'd worked in cafes. Um, I'd trained as a school teacher. Mm. And, uh, and it was it was on the 6th of October, 1998, two remarkable things happened in my life. Um, my wife went into labor and gave birth to my eldest son, uh, who's now, 24 years old which is ludicrous to me uh and when i got back from the hospital because he was born cesarean um uh when i got back from the hospital she and he had to stay in hospital the phone went in those days it was the days of landlines the phone went and it was the royal court theater telling me they were going to do my play bluebird in the 1998 young writers festival on the same day somebody kind of said to me afterwards, do you ever get the feeling you've already had the best day you're ever going to have? <laughs> uh, it was kind of remarkable. but uh, So that was kind of six years. But even then, I was still school teaching for two years. I was uh, I was offered the residency at the Royal Court um, to become the writer in residence. And, and that started on the 1st of January 2000. <laughs> so, the, you know, it's kind of like the first day, not just of the year, not just of the decade, not just of the century, but the first day of a millennium was the day that I started as a professional playwright. Wow. wow. So, so you've written a lot of original plays, but you've also yeah. written adaptations. Uh, yeah. When you're approaching an adaptation such as Curious Incident, uh, how does your approach to playwriting differ? Yeah. I, I think as, as well as the original plays, I, I always say, and I'm quite particular, maybe entirely bafflingly unique in this. Um, I, I think I do two other types of things. I write versions of plays that exist as plays mm -hmm. in other languages. They're not really translations because I'm not translating from the source language. You know, I'm not, when I wrote The Cherry Orchard, I don't have Russian. I don't speak um, the kind of uh, Norwegian idiom that Ibsen wrote A Doll's House in. Or, or German that Brecht and Weil wrote uh, Threatening Opera in. Um, I work from literal translations and just try to write a version that's actable. Um, the other, uh, but I have made adaptations from novels. Jose Saramago's Blindness we made a couple of years ago and Curious Incident was the first of those things. I guess when I make a version, I don't have to, I'm only interested in language. I'm just focusing on the language. But when I make an adaptation like Curious Incident, the work on that was, you know, there was hardly any words invented. Mm -hmm. The work was entirely formal. It was most of the dialogue, most of the spoken dialogue, in my memory at least. I've not reread Mark's novel, Mark Haddon's novel, for um, for you know since I made the adaptation, really. Um, but in my memory at least, most of the words in that play are his. What I did was give them dramatic form. And so my process for the adaptation, um, I kind of, you know, I, I took that job because he asked me to do it. I made friends with Mark. We were we were on attachment at the National Studio, National Theatre Studio at the same time. 
and and he asked me if I'd uh, if I'd make an adaptation of of his novel. Um, I was really nervous because I'd never done an adaptation before. I didn't really know about how to how to go about doing it. Uh, but I told him I would as long as we didn't take a commission. I just I just wrote it as a kind of experiment, and if we were happy with it, then we could try and sell it. Um, and he was he was very supportive in that process. Um, I, I it struck me that. There are some things that a novelist can do that a dramatist can't do, a playwright can't do. A novelist can deal with thought and idea and memory and reflection and observation. And a dramatist can only really deal with behavior. It's just the things that people do to one another that make a play. So I knew, and I, I loved Mark's book. I loved it from before I met him. Um, I, somebody who's fascinated by empathy and the possibilities and impossibilities of empathy. And that's kind of a theme that's run through a lot of my plays. So I was drawn to, drawn to that in his work. Um, what I was aware of was that it's a book that crackles with observation and crackles with thought and crackles with memory as well. And all of those things, when you, as a reader of the novel, and if people don't know the novel, I urge them to have a look at it. And all of his books, I think he's a great writer. Um, the the terrible, they can be really seductive for a playwright. They're, they're you've got to avoid them. You, <laughs> you know, they're the mermaids luring you onto the rock of dramatic inertia. And <laughs> what you've got to, what I did, I did two two really boring, pragmatic things. I went through the novel like with a kind of like floor hammer looking just for events and actions just the things that Christopher did Christopher Boone is the main character just the things that he did not what he thought not what he saw not what he observed or remembered what he did mm -hmm. and I built like a skeleton plan and built the play around that and then I transcribed all the direct speech in the novel because I kind of like worked under the assumption that there must be a reason, if, even if it was a, an unconscious reason that Mark Haddon wasn't aware of, there must be a reason why sometimes he allowed characters to speak out loud. And I created a skeleton script of, uh, from, from, from that and worked with a couple of actors, uh, or a few actors for a day, just hearing that out loud, just to see if there was potential in it. And from then I kind of developed the play. Well, let's talk about collaborating because obviously uh, you collaborated with the the novelist Mark Haddon, but yeah. uh, in in the in the production, uh, the brilliant Marianne Elliott was the director. Yeah. Uh, also, the yeah. very brilliant Bunny Christie, and then the Frantic mm. Assembly with the movement. When you are uh, when you're when you're collaborating and working with collaborators in the rehearsal room, how much of their work informs you as far as like rewrites or or uh, can you talk about that process? Because I'm always fascinated how people work to create a new piece of theater. Mm. I think what's important for me as a playwright, if you read, I mean, you, you, presumably you, you will, you will have read the play for curious until you're directing it, but anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I've read it anybody, a few times. <laughs> yeah. But I think anybody who's, anybody who's, uh, um, who, who's who's going to see this or has listened to this and they've not read it, If they, were, were they to read the script? I think what might surprise people who don't read a lot of contemporary plays is there's very few stage directions. Right. There are kind of some, but there aren't many. 
it's not like if you read like an Arthur Miller script or a, a Eugene O'Neill script um, or Tennessee Williams script where the stage directions can be kind of novelistic. Mm -hmm. They're very, very spare. And that's a deliberate decision on my behalf, because for me, what a play script can offer is a provocation for a team of collaborators. Mm -hmm. And the provocation is best when it's full of problems, you know, and, and, and uh, so it's a script which gives no solutions. Like it doesn't give you a clue about how, for example, you're going to take this teenage boy from one town in the suburbs of of of, of the south of England, uh, where he grows up in Swindon, to the centre of London on stage in five minutes. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no there is no helping hand. But that's a really deliberate thing because there's part of me that thinks if you allow your collaborators the artistic freedom to discover that for themselves, there's the possibility they'll come up with something extraordinary that you just had not seen the potential of before. And that, that's what Frantic did. That's what Marianne did and all, all, all that team on that show. By making the script quite spare, I think it brought them, it brought their imagination to the rehearsal room. Um, and I really, I really cherish that. But for sure, normally in in that, you know, with with um, before a rehearsal starts, I'm really open to conversations with the collaborators. Really open, to, especially with the director, especially if the director's as remarkable as Marianne Elliott. But anybody, really, I'm open to the conversations about what they want to make, how they want to make it, and if there are areas of the text that for them need emboldening or clarifying. Or, or reducing, you know, sometimes I, th I think the, the biggest problem that most playwrights have is they use too many words. And sometimes it's just about getting rid of the words. Um, sometimes it's just kind of uh, just punching up a theme. I remember um, quite when we moved, maybe when we moved to Broadway or maybe when we moved to the West End, Marianne was really keen that there were more dogs in the in the script <laughs> not just not just wellington so things like the reference to the um the the french bulldog in 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 judy's fantasy about her life in france just came from marianne saying put more dogs in it i want lots of dogs <laughs> in it wherever wherever you find the potential for a dog like dogs must be carried at all times <laughs> you know um whatever and, and and things like that are really helpful that scott and stephen uh were keen for me to take more stage directions out than I did in the Scott Scott uh, Scott Graham and Stephen Hoggart, who were the original artistic directors of Frontic Assembly. They were very keen for, for me to take as many stage directions out as I could. Um, and we we did a kind of beautiful week's workshop with Bunny Christie uh, and with a group of actors where we just really explored um, how how uh, how the play was working. And through that, we kind of like reduced, we took an entire scene out. You know, and that just seeing seeing plays on their feet with actors, you learn so much as a playwright. You learn so much from those collaborators. I always think, you know, I, it's why it's why I write plays rather than write poetry or write novels because I really value the imagination of other people, and I believe in. I've got great faith in great faith in other people's capacity to to make one another better. You know, I'm not. I, I'm not a religious person, Mike. I don't really have any kind of religion in my life, but the one area of my life where I'm, I lean into faith is in my work, is in theatre. Because every time I've given a script to somebody else, they've read it with incredible clarity and mm. care. And every time they've found the right actors, those actors have brought 
their clarity and care and love to the work. And every time I put it in front of an audience, the audience have watched it, you know, open-minded. And, you know, that isn't to say they've loved everything that I've done. Witness the reviews of Cornelia Street. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I, 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 uh, I cherish the openness of audiences. I cherish the energy and imagination of actors and directors and designers. And I really, I, I think people are better when they work together. Absolutely. One of the things I love about your adaptation, Simon, is the acceptance of that we are in the theater. We are in a play that we are we are telling the story and the way that I, I guess that that meta theatricality of it, you know, we're um, of the Siobhan um, tell it, reminding Christopher that, you know, we've written it, uh, we've, we've done the play or or our, um, or when yeah. Christopher tells his mother to you know, no, you're supposed to hand me the milkshake and, and, yeah. and you're supposed Siobhan, to talk louder, you know? Siobhan telling him not to, uh, not to, not to give away the mask question because yeah. people don't want to watch the answer to a mask question in a play. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, right, what struck me about that, Mike, when, when Mark asked me to, when Mark asked me to make the adaptation, the, the great responsibility with that is for a lot of people in England, I don't know, I don't know about its life as a novel in the US. But for a lot of people in Britain, when that was published, that book in 2003, for a lot of people, it was like the first adult book that they read of their own volition. You know, you'd see it on subways, you'd see it in, in airports, people would just read it. Um, and, and people who weren't necessarily like contemporary novel readers would read that book and, and were really engaged with it. And I really felt a responsibility that the play needed to be as democratic as the book it needed to be a play that actually and and this has been proven to be the case you know people who don't necessarily go to see plays people who might not go to the theater at all or might go to musicals or kind of like broadway shows if they go into the theater will come and see the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime and and what what i'm proud of is it's innately theatrical right this couldn't be a film this right. could not be adapted for television. This is a text that exists in one form and it exists only in the theatre. And I think that we've managed to bring people to the theatre, many, many of them for the very first time, and be unapologetic in producing something that was completely committed to the form. And which has, it should also be said, you know, the lead role can only really be played by an unknown actor. You know, it can only really be played by kind of like maybe 18 to 25 year old. I think our eldest Christopher we've ever worked with is like 28. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not movie stars. You, right. you People aren't coming to the th coming to watch Curious Incident in order to see somebody out of Stranger Things or, <laughs> you know, somebody out of a Marvel movie. They're, they're coming to for the experience of going to the theatre. And I'm really I'm proud of a lot of things with that play. But I think that's maybe the thing that I'm most proud of. That and Mark Haddon's reaction to it, which was really great. <laughs> if you were to adapt Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime today, is there anything that you would have that you would do differently? It's a really interesting question because the world has changed so much since I wrote it in 2009, conceived it 2008, wrote it 2009, it's produced in 2012. I think uh and this is, you know, I was really proud 
when we revived it with the National Theatre last year, that uh, we cast, it was, it was a, we toured it and it was a COVID tour. Um, so we needed to double the whole cast and that we cast, um, in fact, we had to cast three Christophers and that all three Christophers were neurodivergent actors. I was really proud of that. And in the original productions, that wasn't the case. I think I think we could have been in the original productions more alert to the issues of representation of neurodiversity and more alert as well to kind of representation of gender and gender identity. And maybe I'd have been, a, as a writer, I might have been a little bit more alert to some of that stuff. But I think my process would have been the same. I think maybe if you if you try to be too alert to that stuff, you never you never make anything. Yeah. You'd end up be you'd end up being so nervous about what you're making that you wouldn't make anything. Mm -hmm. So I think my process of trusting the novel, and I really trust that novel, mm -hmm. of trusting Mark, and I I really trust Mark, of, of finding the drama within his work rather than adding to it or embellishing it. I think that would be the same. Nice. Well, what are you working on now? Uh, I'm, I, I counted the other day that I'm working on 16 different things. I'm really oh, happy to live. <laughs> wow. I'm really I, happy I was busy. To, I'm really happy to list all 16 things for you, but <laughs> your listeners might be a little bit bored by that. Um, right now, uh, I've got a new play at the Stats Theatre in Stuttgart opening in uh, the autumn of this year. Um, and the thing that I'm writing, the thing that I'm going to do some work on tonight, um, the thing that I've been writing this week is a brand new play for producers in Tokyo. Um, uh, the, the, there's an amazing theatre in the heart of Tokyo called, um, called the Parco Theatre. Now, Parco in Tokyo is like the equivalent to New York's Macy's. Oh, okay. Imagine the biggest department store in Tokyo happened to have an 800-seat theatre in it. If you imagine Macy's <laughs> had an 800-seat theatre in it. <laughs> and, wow. And not only an 800-seat theatre, but a really good one that did really interesting stuff. That's that's who I'm writing this uh, new play, which has the working title at the moment of Three Last Weeks. Okay. The uh, And that's quite fun to write. It's quite fun. I'm enjoying it. So uh, we're we're almost out of time, but um, one last question for you: If if there was one thing you wish for audiences to take away from the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime, what is that? I think the play charts the life and the perspective of a remarkable 15 year old boy. And I think what, there are two characteristics that he uh, has that I hope people hold in their hearts when they watch the play. One is he is ferociously brave. Mm -hmm. And I think bravery is always predicated in the end on a faith in other people. And uh, I think theatre in itself is predicated on a faith in other people. The second is that he sees the world with a sense of wonder. And he sees wonder in things that maybe we don't always notice are wondrous. Mm. And I think we're living at a time 
when wonder and faith in other people are tested by many, many, many things from many different directions. And maybe theatre can be a space that reminds us of the force of the collective spirit of other people. And maybe theatre can be a space where we're reminded of the possibility of wonder in the universe. And if Curious Incident does that, then I'll be really happy. Well, on that note, I want to thank you so much. We love working on this beautiful play. And thank you for, for putting putting this on paper and, and helping us bring it to life because we uh, it's a special story and we love living in this world. And uh, it's been an honor to speak with you. And if you ever come to Nashville, let us know. Hey, I will. <laughs> I'd really, I really like to be there. All right, All right. take care. All right. I have to say that was a lot of fun speaking with uh, Simon. He is so gracious to take his time after he's working on 16 different projects. <laughs> so, uh, and I thought I was busy, but uh, so happy to have this opportunity to talk with Simon. Um, please make your plans to come see Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, March the 24th through April the 2nd at Tennessee Performing Arts Center's Johnson Theater. Tickets are on sale. You can get those at nashvillerep.org. We'll be back soon with another episode talking about Curious Incident. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you at the theater. Bye.